A few years ago, while traveling in the Central American country of Costa Rica, perhaps some of you have been there, um, I experienced the power of knowing my identity. Power of knowing my identity. So throughout the country, the government has set up these different checkpoints as you travel, and I presume that it's to keep the country safe. Uh, tourism is a big thing there, and they want to make sure that everyone traveling in the country is properly identified. And so at these checkpoints, travelers are required to show their identification. And as, American, as an American, I knew that I would be required to pull out my passport and, and show, them, uh, these, show, show them my documents at these checkpoints. But in order to prevent my passport from being stolen or lost, which is a real pain, uh, I was advised to travel with a photocopy of my passport while I was in the country. Uh, so that if you know, I go through these checkpoints, I don't have to pull out my actual document and risk it being stolen or lost. I could just show the photocopy. So I was advised to do this, and it seemed like a reputable source that advised me to do this. And so I was surprised when the bus that I was traveling in came to a checkpoint, and the bus was boarded by a government official who informed all of us that we were going to be exiting the bus and those people who had actual documentation would be allowed to get back on the bus. So if we didn't have documents or if we had photocopy documents, we were going to be detained. Uh, so there, there were a number of us from other countries that had also received the advice that it's good to travel with a photocopy of your documents so that you're Documents don't get lost or stolen. Um, and even though we tried to make a case that, hey, obviously this is me here, this is a, this is a actual photocopy of, it didn't work. And so we were not allowed to get back on the bus, and the bus took off. So this was certainly annoying. But there was something in this whole experience that kept me from being burdened by dread, burdened by fear, burdened by just all kinds of worries that, that my life was just going to be terrible because I was detained. During this time of being detained <laughs> at this checkpoint, uh, I enjoyed conversation with a number of other travelers there, and it was, it was just, it was really nice. We had some pleasant conversations, um, and I was relaxed, actually, during this time because I was certain of my identity, Costa Rica has a positive relationship with the United States of America. And tourists from our country contribute handsomely to their economy. So as a U.S. citizen, I was confident that everything would be okay. After an hour or so, sure enough, the government official announced that to, to all of us that they were able to work things out and we would be allowed to board the next bus with our photocopies of our, of our identification. Now, as I look back on this experience, I'm struck by how knowing my identity made all the difference. And I knew my identity as a U.S. citizen and the privileges that come because we're U.S. citizens. I knew that because it has been ingrained in me so much. I have grown up saying, I pledge allegiance to the flag. I've grown up singing the national anthem. I've celebrated all my life the 4th of July, Thanksgiving. 
I've registered for the draft, I vote, and I pay taxes. I'm reminded in so many different ways that yes, indeed, I am in fact a citizen of the United States of America. So it didn't matter if they questioned this. They could question this identity all day long, and it would not shake my certainty that I am a U.S. citizen. It's been ingrained in me. It's been ingrained in me. It's part of who I am. It shaped who I am. Now, we live in a world where our identity as people loved and cared for by God is constantly being questioned. It is. Really? Your God is so loving? How could he allow these things to happen? You pray, and God doesn't do what you pray for. Doesn't do what we expect sometimes. All, in all different ways, we are questioned. Does God really even exist? Is he really a God of love? In so many different ways, our identity as people who are loved and cared for by God is questioned. When bad things happen to us, all, all, at all these, it's easy to question that an all-powerful, all-loving God calls us his children. It's easy to do that. And when we question our identity, it burdens us. It's distressing. It's, it causes worry. Because if we don't know we are God's beloved, we are left with the burden of having to prove our value, having to prove that we are worthy of love. Today, as we think about schools starting and, and young people going to school and teachers going back uh, into the classrooms, as we think about how to support our teachers and our students, I'd like to look at a teaching from the Bible that shows us how to educate young people so that they can be certain of their identity. How can we do that? And when they're certain of their identity, so, so that they can be free of the burden of trying to be good and enjoy a life filled with love for God and love for others. That's the goal. So the title of the message this morning is Unburdening Hearts. And before we get into the Bible, I'd like to just pause for prayer. Heavenly Father, God, it's no secret that we carry burdens on our hearts. Burdens that you don't design for us to carry. And I pray that as we spend time with you now, as we read the Bible, that your spirit would unburden our hearts with your truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please turn with me to the book of Deuteronomy. This is in the Old Testament. Got the page number up there if you want to use your pew Bible. Deuteronomy chapter 6. During the time of Moses, the, who is the author of Deuteronomy, Moses wrote this book, God's people were struggling to know and accept their true identity. After years of slavery in Egypt, where they had just been, it, the idea of slavery had just been beaten into them. Israel had forgotten who God is, how much God had loved them. They'd forgotten that during their time in Egypt. And even after God clearly expressed that to them, even after God brought Egypt to his knees through ten devastating plagues, after he led Israel out of Egypt as free people into the wilderness, Israel still had a hard time accepting this, that their identity was the special people of God. They were loved and cared for by God. They had a hard time accepting that when, when bad things would happen, quote-unquote bad, when 
Food would start to run short or water would start to run short. They started talking about returning to Egypt. Wasn't life better for us as we sat around the flesh, flesh pots of Egypt? We had plenty to eat. Let's go back. They started thinking in those ways. They forgot their identity, that they were God's special people. Better off with him. So to help them know their true identity, God brought the people of Israel out of Egypt, led them through the wilderness to a place called Mount Sinai. And there on Mount Sinai, as you may be familiar with the story, God gave them his law. He made a covenant with them, an agreement. He entered into this agreement with them. And God's law provided them with conclusive evidence that they were, in fact, God's special people, God's beloved. But knowing how prone we are to forget who we are, knowing how prone we are to forget our true identity, Moses here in the book of Deuteronomy, 40 years later after that experience at Mount Sinai, he repeats God's law before they entered into the promised land. Really significant. Moses is like, hey, before you go into the promised land, this is what you need to be reminded of. And if I can just draw a parallel to where we are in Earth's history at the end of time, before we enter the heavenly promised land, there's a special significance of God's law for us today. The name of the book of Deuteronomy, it literally means repeated law. And in Deuteronomy chapter 5, previous chapter, just a page over, Moses recites the Ten Commandments. You'll find almost exactly what you find in Exodus 20 when the law was first given to Moses. He recites the Ten Commandments. Now, today the Ten Commandments can get mixed reviews among Christians, right? Some, some Christians are like, yeah, the Ten Commandments are great. Other, other Christians see the Ten Commandments as a burden. A burden that God fortunately did away with in Christ. It's almost as if the giving of the law to Moses and to the people in the Old Testament was a failed experiment by God to help his people be good. And now Jesus came and said, well, we're just going to try something new now. We're going to get rid of all that. But Moses never saw the law like this. Moses never saw the law as a burden. And we get a sense of that in Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 6. He reminds the people of, of God about the timing of the giving of the law. It's really significant. If you want to just turn the page uh, in your Bible over there, Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 6. He says, speaking God's words here, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. And then he begins with commandment number one, you shall have no other gods before me, and so on. This is really significant, the timing of when the law was given. The law was not given before salvation. The law was given after salvation. He says, I am the Lord your God who saved you, and because I am your Savior, because I am your provider, because I'm the one who cares for you and I love you, here's my law. Here's what identifies you as lovers of God and lovers of others. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5, emphasizes this point. Moses tells the people, this is what you're supposed to be all about. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. But how is it possible for people 
who are so prone to questioning their identity, forgetting their identity, so prone to going against these Ten Commandments? How is it possible for us to love God the way the law instructs us to? Fully love God with all our heart and fully love others. How is it possible for us to do that? Well, he tells us in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 6 and 7, he says, these commands... These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Verse 7, impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. When Moses says in verse 6 that these commandments are to be on your hearts, He's teaching them a truth that they previously had missed. Forty years earlier, when God gave the Ten Commandments to Moses, he wrote them with his finger on two tables of stone. But this in itself was not enough for the people of God to know and accept their identity as lovers of God and lovers of others. It was not enough to have them written on two tables of stone. You may know the story that after Moses had come down with the law and explained it to the people, these are the Ten Commandments of God, he explained it to the people, the people accepted it, and and they entered into that covenant with God. Moses went back up on Mount Sinai. And a few weeks later, the people completely forgot their identity. And they chose to burden themselves with the work of making an idol and worshiping an idol, an idol that could do nothing for them, even though they were so in need of a mighty God that could do much for them. They chose to burden themselves with something that could not help them. When God's law is not on our hearts and is merely written somewhere, as it was in their case on tables of stone, the result is oppression. It's oppressive. The law reminds us that we are sinners, and that's a good thing that we know the reality of who we are. But if the law is not on our hearts, we cannot keep the law, no matter how hard we try. It reminds us that we're sinners, but it doesn't do anything for us when it's not on our hearts. I'd like to invite you to turn with me to Jeremiah. Keep your finger there in Deuteronomy 6. We're going to go back there, but turn with me to Jeremiah chapter 31 verse and verse 33. In Jeremiah 31, the Old Testament prophet is talking about something that the Bible refers to as the Old Covenant. The Old Covenant. That's the covenant that God made with Israel on Mount Sinai. And here, Jeremiah, he recognizes that the Old Covenant had some real problems with it. Even though people knew what the law said, Moses was very clear. God was very clear. He wrote it on stone. He's saying, hey, this is not going to change. I'm putting it on stone. I'm writing it myself so that it comes through exactly clearly. People knew what the law said, but this, lo- this knowledge alone was not enough to keep them from, from failing miserably at living according to their God-given identity. And so God says in Jeremiah 31 that I'm going to be making a new covenant with you. He tells us what this new covenant is all about in Jeremiah 31, verse 33. Hopefully you've had time to get there. Verse 33 says, This is the covenant 
I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. Notice that the new covenant does not do away with the Ten Commandment law. It doesn't get rid of the law. It doesn't say this is a failed experiment. We tried it and it doesn't work. It doesn't say that this is no longer valid. It doesn't say that this is no longer something that is important. The new covenant is not about doing away with God's law. God's law is good. You read the Ten Commandments. These are good things. It's good to be honest. It's good to honor marriage. It's good to be content with what you have and not covet. It's good to keep the Sabbath. It's good to worship God and God alone because he is almighty. He is the provider to not replace him with idols, to honor his name, to keep his, all of these things, to honor father, mother. All of these things are good things. These are all good. It's good to love God with all of our hearts. It's good to love others. As ourselves. That's what the law is all about. That's what the principles are all about. These things are good. The new covenant does not change God's law. It changes our relationship to the law. Changes that. In the new covenant, the, the law is not merely written somewhere on tablets of stone. In the new covenant, the law is written by God on our hearts. Now, some might wonder, why didn't God just write it on our hearts in the first place? Why even have an old covenant? Why write it on stone at all? What's the purpose? Well, to explain this, it might be helpful to consider how a wood-burning stove works. You're probably aware that without a fire, wood-burning stoves are not warm. (laughs) They're cold. Yeah, it might be hard to imagine because it's so hot outside today. Um, but, but just go, go with me for a second. For a wood-burning stove to, stove to work and, and to radiate warmth, there needs to be fire inside of it to do any good. But in order to have a stove that's radiating warmth and warming up the home, doing its job, there needs to be a match. There needs to be a lighter. There needs to be some source of a flame that lights the wood that's inside the stove and gets it going and burning. In a similar way, our hearts are naturally cold. And in order for the warmth of God's love to radiate from our lives, we need a spark. We need to know his law, knowledge of his law, having it written down, having it in a place where we can read it. Knowledge of his law ignites in us a desire to be the people that God has made us to be. Inside of us, there's something that resonates with the law of God. We see this and we're like, yeah, this is good. This makes sense. Yes, sin can numb and dull our ability to appreciate the law, but naturally, there's an appreciation for these principles in God's law. And as we read it, it ignites this desire to be like God, to live our, out our identity as followers of God. But just like a lit match must be put inside the wood stove in order to light the fire in the proper place, God's law must also be put inside of our hearts in the right place. Because if a lit match is dropped outside of the stove, lands in that pile of wood, it could burn the house down. If it lands outside of the stove, it could burn down a forest. 
could cause great damage. But a flame put in the right place is life-giving. You ever been around a nice warm stove on a cold day? Life-giving. Like, oh, this is so good. Flame in the right place. Deuteronomy 6, verse 6 tells us where God's law belongs. He's given us his law written in stone, written in the Bible, so that it can ignite this desire and lead us to turn to God so that he will write his law where it belongs, on our hearts. God won't do something against your will. The law of God is written in stone so that we can see it, resonate with it, and turn to him so that he can write it inside of us. Now, for the Hebrews, the heart was the center They used different body parts to express different concepts, and the heart was used to express the center of thoughts and feelings. So when Moses says that that God's law is to be on your hearts, he's not just saying that we should have a knowledge of God, that we should have a knowledge of, of his law. He's also saying that we are to cherish the law, that we are to welcome it into every part of our life, that it's not just an addition to what we do. It is the center. It, is, it describes us. It describes our being. When God's law is on our hearts, it means that our life is aligned with our real identity, followers of God. You were created in the image of God, created to love him with all your heart, created to love others. Now, this experience of living out our true identity is not just for adults. It's not just for people who have been going to church many years. God intends for people of all ages to know their true identity. He says in Deuteronomy 6, verse 7, Impress these commands on your children. Other versions of the Bible say, diligently teach these commands. Put this up there. Diligently teach them. So the Hebrew word that's translated impress or or teach can also be translated as sharpen. It's actually found many different places in the Bible, and it's translated as sharpen, to put an edge, a fine edge to. In order to sharpen a blade... There we go. In order to sharpen a blade, it takes repeated careful action. If the action, if the attention that's given to that blade is is not done carefully, then the work that is done could actually make that blade more dull. Think about this in terms of education. If it's not done right, the minds can become more dull. So to sharpen a blade, it requires it requires careful attention. It needs to be done skillfully. It needs to be done the proper way. And it also needs to be done repeatedly. Teachers can tell us about this more than probably anyone else. They say it once. They say it again. They've got to keep repeating it in order for that concept to be, to be conveyed. To sharpen a blade is, is, is a similar thing. There's repeated, careful action. When the blade is used, it becomes dull, and it needs to be repeatedly sharpened to maintain its, its file, be, to be able to, 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 to be used well. If our young people are going to be spiritually sharp, the Bible is saying that they need to hear repeated, careful expressions of God's law all the time. Verse 7 goes on to say, talk about God's laws when you sit at home. 
That's the place where parents are. This is not just a job for teachers. This is parents and teachers. Talk about God's laws when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you go to bed, when you wake up. Talk about them all the time for spiritual character to be honed in the lives of our young people. Teachers, parents, spiritual mentors, all of us as a church family, we must be interested in God's law, so much so that we're talking about it all the time. If adults are not that interested in God's law to talk about it all the time, how can we expect our young people to be that interested? Speaking to myself just as much as anyone else here. But if we're just bringing our, I mean, bringing our young people to church, that's a good thing. Bringing our young people to school, that's a good thing. But if we're not bringing ourselves because we ourselves are interested, then how can we expect them to catch it? How can we expect them to be impressed? Now, chances are, if you go up to a young person and say, hey, so let's talk about the law of God, the impression that you make may not be a positive one. (laughs) Just going to go out on a limb and make that guess. But if you talk about what God has done for you, talk about how you know God's love, talk about the experience that God has given to you, If you speak words of love, speak words of encouragement to others, speak words of affirmation to young people, and when they absolutely know that you love them, if you speak at the correct time words of instruction out of love, if you're speaking like that, if you're talking to to them about how to love God, how to love others, then you're talking about something that everyone is interested in. We are all created with a desire to love and to be loved. That's what God's law is about. When Jesus was on this earth, he was constantly speaking the principles of God's law to other people. And as a result, people flocked to him. Multitudes followed Jesus for a reason. It's because people were desperate to hear that God's love is what defines us. Not what you look like, not how smart you are, not how strong you are. It's God's love that defines you. Because if we try to identify with any other thing, it's going to be a burden. Now, there's some great things. Now, some people can say, well, I'm an athlete and I identify with that. Well, okay, great. How long are you to be able to do that? And what's going to happen when you realize that you're not the best? What's going to happen to your identity? It's a burden if we accept any other identity but that which God has given to us, that we are the loved, cherished people of God. Every other identity is going to be a burden. You choose your own identity, you're choosing a burden, an oppressive burden that you cannot live up to. Because no matter how hard we try, we're always going to come to a point where we realize that we, in and of ourselves, are not good enough. Have you ever heard that? Have you ever said that to yourself? God wants to unburden you from that. And so he gives us his law. And he says, I want to write this on your heart. This is your real identity. People are desperate to hear that God's love defines them. And this is true for our our young people today. They need to hear it. From adults. They need to hear it from the teachers. They need to hear it from parents. 
They need to hear it from spiritual mentors, that God's love defines us. Because like it or not, young people are going to be influenced by adults. Adults, you may not think you have much influence sometimes. Grandparents, you may not think you have much influence. The reality is, is that adults influence young people. Let me give you an example of that. Hiking. Pacific Northwest, we're big on hiking, right? We're going to go on a hike this afternoon. We do, we do hikes. Children are able to do some pretty tough hikes. I've seen children hike up really steep, difficult paths. My poor kids. Um, I've seen children hike for miles, actually. In fact, children have hiked the Pacific Crest Trail. This is the trail that starts at the border of Mexico and goes all the way up to Washington. It actually passes through this area here. This is a trail that goes for over 2,500 miles. Young children have hiked this trail. It's true. They can do it. But I've also noticed that if there's a fun tree to climb, if there's a lake to play in, if there's a bunch of cool sticks and rocks lying on the ground, chances are kids are not going to hike. They're going to play with those things. I mean, if you have ever taken children hiking, you're, you understand where I'm, getting, where I'm going with, with this, right? If you've ever taken children hiking, you know that children go on hikes because adults like to go on hikes. <laughs> That's why kids go on hikes. And because those adults have candy. That's why kids go on hikes. Most of all, kids are, I mean, when do you see kids coming together and say, let's hike 10 miles? Like, that, young children go on hikes because adults are like, let's do this, right? And they go, and kids go along, and they see some really cool things along the way, and they might make it to a beautiful place where there's an amazing view, or they walk along a beautiful river, or they see wildflowers, and it's a wonderful experience. And I would argue that they're grateful for it. But in and of themselves, they are probably not going to go on hikes. They need adults to be able to do that. If parents and teachers, if spiritual mentors like God's Word, if they like the character of God, if they like the law of God, if they're interested in God's character, not just being a part of their life, but being on their hearts, the center of all that they do, then we're going to talk about it. We're going to be enthusiastic about it, and our young people will be impressed with the truth of who they are, their real identity. So what if you're not interested? What if you're sitting here in church and you're like, that's great, Pastor Brian. I would love to be that interested in the Bible that I'm talking about it all the time. Love to be that interested in the Word of God, in, in, in His law, that, that I would want, that, that my fondest wish is for it to be written on my heart. I want to be that person, but I'm not. If this describes you, then I'd like to invite you to form a habit. And I'm in the process of forming this habit myself to form the habit of meditating on the law of God. You'll hear some good reasons for that as you read the Bible. Bible writers will talk about meditating on the law of God. I invite you to form that habit. And this is, this is how you do it. You take one law at a time, 
and you think about it as it is God's promise to you. So when the first commandment says, you will have no other gods before me, that you receive that in your heart as God's promise that you will, in fact, have no other gods. And what a blessing that is that we don't have to have any lesser God that we worship, that we don't have to have a God that needs something from us or a God that can't do anything for us. God says, I am your one and only. And as as we meditate upon the law of God, he puts it on our hearts. As you meditate on what it means to keep the Sabbath, God is saying, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. As God says, honor your father and your mother. As God says, do not commit adultery. As God says, do not lie. As God says, do not covet. As we meditate on these things, as we receive them as his promises to us, he writes his law upon our hearts. When we meditate on the law of God, what we are doing is we are agreeing with his identity of us. It's not your identity to lie. That's not who you are. It's not who you are to worship anyone else but the one true God. It's not who you are to work all the time. You get to rest because we have a God that provides everything that we need. It's not who you are to covet somebody else's stuff because God gives you everything. You can be content with what you have. This is your identity, nothing less. And we experience that as we welcome his law into our hearts. As we open ourselves up to him and say, God, I'm all yours. Just as you wrote it on tables of stone, here is my heart. Take it and write your law on it. God's law identifies us as his beloved. And he will write his law in our hearts if we are willing to turn to him and cherish it and just trust in him, receive his word as his promise to us. And when we do this, when God writes his law on our hearts, when this happens, the young people in our church and in our community, they will be impressed. The Bible says impress it on their hearts, impress it upon them, upon the young people. They will be impressed when it has been impressed upon us. And they, as they are impressed, as they see that law written on our hearts, as they see us enthusiastic about who God has called us to be as lovers of him and lovers of others, then the hearts of our young people will be free from the burden of trying to be good enough. Oh, that we could save our young people from this. Oh, that we could be saved from that. The law does this. To save our young people from being, trying to be good enough. And as they accept their true identity as children of God, they will have these unburdened hearts. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much. Thank you so much for the character that you reveal to us in your law. The character that describes who we are saved to be, lovers of you and lovers of others. God, may we allow this to be in us. May we allow you to write your law upon our hearts. You know, search us, God. You know the areas of our life where your law is not written. We give you permission to do that. We want to be the people you've called us to be. In Jesus' name, amen.